From policy to culture, principles to politics, this is The Seth Liebson Show. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Thursday, January 5th, as we head into Hour 2, the Hollands will be with us in Hour 3. Our phone number, 602-508-0960. Love to hear from you. Today, of course, is uh, big election day in Georgia. But when I say in Georgia, I really mean for the rest of the country, perhaps the world, the Senate being so important. I remind uh, people who are down and out about uh, the presidential uh, sweepstakes that uh, up until about June or July, people were saying, you know, as important as the presidency is, and it is, the Senate is even more important for a lot of reasons, right? Obviously, the confirmation of judges, um, the ability to stop and prevent bad policy or to usher through good policy, the Senate is um, is is exceedingly important, and of course, as you know, uh, our Constitution begins with Article One, and Article One is about the powers of um, the legislature. Um, it doesn't start with the powers of the presidency, the executive branch. It starts with the powers of the legislative branch. That was supposed to be in our founders' uh, worldview, uh, the preeminent um, the preeminent source of representative uh, democracy or a Republican form of government. So we either save it tonight or we don't. I'm amazed at the level of the candidacy of the Democrats and the Republicans, I have to tell you. I had no problem in supporting um, Purdue and Leffler, none at all, because of what they stand for and how they will vote. Um, I plea for a time, however, when we can find Republican candidates who uh, do more than vote the right way and say the right things um, at, a, uh, at and around elections. I, I plea for the time of perhaps uh, something represented by another Georgian in his heyday, Newt Gingrich, who could give you reasons to be a conservative, reasons to be a Republican, reasons to march, to charge a hill. I just, I just wish we did better at candidate recruitment in every state. We have some great ones. My gosh, my golly, we have some great ones. You bet, from Josh Hawley to Christy Noam to Ted Cruz, I, I could go on and on. We have a great, great bench. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know that we have the best um, of that in, in Georgia or everywhere else or anywhere else for that matter. On the other hand, you look at the Democrats that they're running in Georgia, uh, uh, Joe Ossoff and um, Raphael Warnock, and it is quite amazing to me that the Democratic Party of Georgia, knowing how important the Senate race is there, would put up candidates like that, which tells me one of two things. When you look especially at uh, Raphael Warnock in his record, whether it's his uh, personal history or his uh, public oratory, that the Democrats would put someone like that up either shows their ineptitude or, or what worries me more so, um, their belief that he is in sync with and represents the currents of the modern Democratic Party, what with his support of everything from Louis Farrakhan and Jeremiah Wright to... Um, to uh, to 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 his to his beliefs in defunding the police, quite frankly, his what we used to think of ten years ago, maybe fifteen years ago, wouldn't even get you a precinct committeeman's position, and now he's running for the Senate of the United States in Georgia and running a campaign. I was going to say credible. I don't know if it's credible or not, but it's a tight race, 
and it tells you a little bit about the fate of Georgia, too, that it's a tight race. He is a pastor. That is his profession. He is a pastor at uh, Ebenezer Baptist Church, which is the, uh, of course, famous church that uh, Martin Luther King Jr. headed and, and started the Civil Rights Movement from. I was amazed to see. Gosh, I didn't know how lucrative it was to be a pastor in a, in a church representing um, the least among us these days. Raphael Warnock's salary sitting at $350,000 a year. Did you know that, Chris? Yeah, yeah. The pastor at Martin... Yeah, pastor at Martin Luther King Jr.'s church. Yeah, right, right, right. It pays. It pays, I suppose. Um, this this isn't maybe the biggest story in and of itself, but example after example will reveal it to be one of the bigger stories of the times we live in. You hear about the cancel culture. And perhaps it's one thing to turn your head, turn a deaf ear or a blind eye to what goes on at the universities because we know they're just such ridiculous dumpsters of leftist fire in the first place. But, you know, one area that you would have thought the First Amendment mattered or one area of profession where you would have thought that freedom of speech and opinion would have mattered would have been in the profession of law. Well, that's gone down that's gone down the drain too. So those who have been in politics, everyone who's been in Republican politics, I should say, I've had any number of um, of interactions with her and representations by her, as anyone in Republican politics would have, uh, is a lawyer out of Washington, D.C. named Cleta Mitchell, and she has been volunteering some time uh, helping the Trump campaign on uh, various matters, specifically and especially post-election, she is she is one of the go-to uh, Republican attorneys. We don't have we don't have a lot of national and prominent national. We have one or two here in Arizona. We're blessed to have, but Cleta Mitchell has been around for a long time and has often represented conservative causes and Republican causes. So she has been working uh, as a volunteer on Donald Trump, President Trump's behalf, and. Um, I noticed this during um, the arguments for recount just the first couple of weeks after the November 3rd election. I have a lot of friends who are attorneys and um, working on behalf of the Republican Party or the Trump campaign. They were telling me about the pressure they were getting from their law firms that it was not wise for them and their futures to continue to represent Donald Trump. And when, you know, senior partners and clients at a big and important law firm say it's not wise to continue to represent someone, you have to think twice about it. It's a lot of pressure. Um, So even lawyers were being pressured. Now Cleta Mitchell, who was a uh, partner at one of the major firms in Washington, D.C., Foley and Lardner, uh, because of her service on behalf of the Trump campaign, she had to leave her partnership. She had to leave this law firm. Cancel culture is a serious thing. It's a big thing, and it's widespread. It's not just on the college campuses. It's in all our professions. Think of the medical profession for a moment. Think about what it meant when Scott Atlas from Stanford, who used to be the head of one of the medical departments at Stanford, went to work for Donald Trump. And because of what he said about the administration's response 
to the coronavirus, the entire Stanford faculty took a vote denouncing him, some kind of, as if this were the Catholic Church ex-cathedra vote, um, denouncing one of their own, a member of their faculty, for having the um, having the audaciousness, the temerity to work for President Trump and say things which are, okay, um, different than Anthony Fauci, of course, but not contradicted by any science or any reports or any studies I have seen. There's nothing I have seen that has been said by Scott Atlas, who's been a guest on this show a few times, that was deemed worthy of being denounced by the entire faculty of Stanford. So whether it's medicine or law, it's not just the liberal arts anymore that can put you in cancel culture. It's anything that puts you on the wrong side of the dominant culture today, which is leftism. The dominant culture today is leftism. And the only thing I can say, I mean, I was reading the story about Cleta Mitchell, is a strong woman, a smart woman, and has been in the trenches for years, forced to leave her law firm for representing, of all things, the president of the United States, just happens to be of the wrong party, I guess. The thing I was thinking is, you know, how blessed it is to work in an industry, or at least for a company, that gives you freedom of thought, freedom of opinion, freedom of speech. Uh, Salem and this radio station, of course, and general manager and the management here. Because you don't know what it's like to lose freedom until you lose it. And who thought, who thought that whether you take the Hippocratic Oath or whether you swear to uphold the uh, Constitution and serve the canons of law, that that could be determined and ended because of your political opinions. Lawyers used to lecture us back in the day, defense lawyers, particularly the defense bar, that everyone deserves representation. I remember reading a book about Clarence Darrow as a young kid. My dad gave me young lawyers books. A book about Clarence Darrow was titled Attorney for the Damned. You know, there was no one below which you didn't deserve representation. Unless, I suppose, you're the president of the United States and the president is a Republican. It's a scary time. And I fear it will get worse. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. Going into the new year, you want to be healthy, you want to be upbeat, you want high energy and boosted immunity. That's why you want balance of nature. I have take, I take it every day. I have taken it every day for over a year now, and it has given me all of that energy, health, and boosted immunity. I, you know, I've done a lot of travel, international, uh, domestic. Uh, I usually get sick uh, a few times a year when the seasons change. None of that happened while I was taking Balance of Nature. I had the healthiest year I've had in memory, and it is attributable to the fruits and vegetables in Balance of Nature. Powerful, potent, healthy 
strong stuff. I think it's the most effective whole food supplement on the market. You just take it once a day and you're good to go. They have a great deal offering free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Give them a call at 800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com but make sure to use discount code balance. A lot of media and others had fun detailing um whatever number of lies they could put together that they attributed to Donald Trump. And I've always agreed with Dennis Prager that there's no lie he told, which was as significant as the big lies that the left tells you. That aside, it does beg a question as to what point or if the media is going to bore in on because it's not that hard, the lies that Biden, Joe Biden, and Kamala Harris tell. Kamala Harris, the more you look at her biography, the more you realize how much of a fraud it is. It started coming to our attention about a little over a year ago when she attacked Joe Biden for his position on busing, telling a story that wasn't true about herself, and no one really seemed to care that terribly much because she has immunity. She has immunity given her politics. Um, She has now been telling a story several times that, um, I hate to use the word, but there's no other or better word for it, um, plagiarized from Martin Luther King Jr. Um, Listen to this. this. This has come up over the last couple of days. Now we have actual audio of her doing this, doubling down on this. We know the man she serves has plagiarized a great deal in his career, from uh, Neil Kinnock to Robert Kennedy. Who knew that Kamala Harris would suffer the same thing? The question is, will anyone call them out on it? Listen to this from Kamala Harris. And, um, and there are some funny stories I was just sharing with someone backstage. You know, so I, I witness this, as I write about in the book, you know, from my stroller's eye view. And um, there's a, a funny family story about how, so my mother's marching with the, the extended family. I talk about like Aunt Mary and Uncle Freddie in the book. And um, she would tell the story about how, so they're marching. And this is back when marching. strollers didn't really have armrest and seatbelts. <laughs> <laughs> so they're marching away and, you know, shouting and, and all of that. And then I think it was my Uncle Freddie, you know, uh, looked down and, and looked in the stroller, which was empty. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Kamala? <laughs> and apparently they left me like a block by and I'd fallen out the stroller. <laughs> there you go. And then my mother would tell a funny story about how, like one day, she and, and I was fussing, and, and you know, and so I'm fussing and fussing. She, it, it's much cuter when she would tell the story, but she'd say, so then she would look down at me and Kamala, what do you want? What do you want? And I looked back up at her and I said, freedom. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Very much that belly laugh. Always the belly laugh. I'm That's so enough. Glad. That, always the belly laugh from Kamala Harris when she's telling a lie. So now let me read you from Martin Luther King Jr. in an interview. In, uh, actually, an interview Martin Luther King Jr. gave to Playboy magazine. I will never forget a moment in Birmingham when a white policeman accosted a little Negro girl, seven or eight years old, who was walking in a demonstration with her mother. 
What do you want? The policeman asked her gruffly. The litter girl looked him straight in the eye and answered, Feed him! F-E-E-D-O-M. She couldn't even pronounce it, but she knew. It was beautiful. Many times when I have been in sorely trying situations, the memory of that little one has come into my mind and buoyed me. Well, is it possible Kamala Harris had the same exact experience and decided to use the same exact vernacular of the mispronunciation of that world that only a two- or three- or four-year-old might use? I suppose it's possible. But as we used to say, it's just not bloody likely. What's weird is that people think they can get away with this. See, I worry about... I suppose everyone knows people who have told small lies about their biographies over various years. Um, I, I don't think it's a particularly noble thing, but a lot of people aren't immune from embellishing things. What worries me is that you have world leaders or public officials who actually think you can get away with it, that they are so divorced from technology or the ability of people to do their own research that they can get away with it, which tells me yet a second thing, which is even more worrisome, is that they know they can get away with it. That even if people find out, even if people discover it, they know they can get away with it because they will be protected just as Joe Biden was protected with the Hunter Biden laptop story the month before the election, just as he was able to say about his threats to the Ukrainian prosecutor. He bragged about getting fired. This has been looked into and it's been thoroughly debunked as uh, excuse me it's been thoroughly debunked as 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 a corrupt act when it never was it was never investigated he said it once and the press just let it go it worries me that they think they can get away with it because they know they can get away with it but that's the world we live in now that's the world we live in so when you go back and read stories about Watergate or stories about the Pentagon Papers and you look at the Supreme Court cases on these things, you will see statement after statement and dicta after elaborate dicta in the Supreme Court reports about how the purpose of the press is to be a check on those who govern us. And it turns out that's been totally surrendered. The purpose of the press is the press sees it today is only to be a check against Republicans. It's supposed to be a Mermadian guardian and protector of Democrats. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Um, 
<laughs> this is a little embarrassing. Uh, did you ever have a tab on your computer that you couldn't find right when you needed it? I think these things sometimes have critical critical need detectors. The moment you need them, they disappear. It's like a book on your bookshelf. Anyway, um, for those that are uh, following what's going on in Washington, D.C., the protests and the marches, um, and, and, and find, find them, I don't know, distasteful, uh, find them uh, beneath and below dignity, I want to commend to you um, a piece Newt Gingrich wrote last week called Why I Will Not Give Up, and you can get it at Gingrich360.com. I mentioned it briefly in passing, but it's really one of the um, most thorough and complete responses to those kinds of critics I've read. And I'll just, I'll just summarize some of it. He writes, In 2016, I supported an outsider candidate who was rough around the edges and in the Andrew Jackson School of Controversial Assaults on the Old Order. When my candidate won... It was blamed on the Russians. We now know, four years later, Hillary Clinton's own team financed the total lie that fueled this attack. Members of the FBI twice engaged in criminal acts to help it along, once in avoiding prosecution of someone who had deleted 33,000 emails and had a subordinate use a hammer to physically destroy hard drives, and a second time by lying to FISA judges to destroy General Michael Flynn and spy on then-candidate Donald Trump and his team. The national liberal media aided and abetted every step of the way. All this was purely an attempt to cripple the new president and lead to the appointment of a special counsel who ultimately produced nothing. Now... People in my world are told it's time to stop resisting, cooperate with the new president. But we remember that the Democrats wanted to cooperate with Trump so much that they began talking about his impeachment before he even took office. The Washington Post ran a story on Democrat impeachment plots the day of the inauguration. In fact, nearly 70 Democratic lawmakers boycotted his inauguration. A massive left-wing demonstration was staged in Washington the day after, where Madonna announced she dreamed of blowing up the White House to widespread applause. These same forces want me to cooperate with their new president. I find myself adopting the Nancy Pelosi model of constant resistance. Nothing I have seen from Biden since the election offers me any hope that he will do anything to reach out to the more than 74 million Americans who voted for President Trump. When Twitter and Facebook censored the oldest and fourth largest newspaper in America, founded by Alexander Hamilton, the New York Post, because it accurately reported news that could hurt Biden's chances, where were the New York Times and the Washington Post? The truth of the Hunter Biden story is now becoming impossible to avoid or conceal. The family of the Democrat nominee for president received at least $5 million from an entity controlled by our greatest adversary. It was a blatant payoff, and most Americans who voted for Biden never heard of it or were told before the election it was a Russian disinformation campaign. Once they did hear of it, 17% said they would have switched their votes. That's the entire election. 
the censorship worked exactly as intended. Typically, newspapers and media outlets band together when press freedom is threatened by censorship. Where was the sanctimonious democracy dies in darkness? Tragically, the Washington Post, the paper who emblazons that across their masthead, is now part of the dock is now part of the darkness. But this is just a start. There's more, much more, and I'll do it when we come back. Back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Do you like music like that from the 60s, Chris? Are you into, like, Beach Boys or what? If you were if you were into retro music, what would it be? And don't give me, like, the Smiths. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, I, I was, I'm I, talking about everything that's, you know, I was raised good. on the Beatles. You were raised on the Beatles. Yeah, I was raised. So there's that. But, like... You're, you're like a step before. I don't know the half. Or after like, a step before or after is fine. I don't I'll, know. I I'll, mean, I'll I'll take 70s. Yeah, give me some, yeah, give me some 70s music. I you're okay with it? Any. Sure, sure, absolutely. 50s and you know like the happy like da, 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 probably not. I mean, <laughs> the not happy. happy you don't like, like happy music, so yeah. no banjos. I love banjos. Well, you can't sing a song on a banjo, Steve Martin said. I, uh, see, you know, it's so funny you brought him up because that was it. I saw him uh, on Twitter like a, a couple weeks ago, posted just this amazing riff he did. Yeah. And there, this moment took over me because it's funny you mentioned the 70s, The Jerk. Yeah. One of, his fam- it's one of my favorite movies sure. of all time, raised on it. And I sometimes wonder, is he going to maybe be known even more for the amazing music he's done over the last 10 or 15 years than some of the fantastic movies we grew up on. You know, you pose an interesting question that hadn't occurred to me because he's had three careers, really. Yeah. Comedy, movies, music. The music is, is, is substantial, too, because he's it's brought it up to social media. You like, bet. I think there's a larger likelihood that 20-year-olds will yeah. have seen Steve Martin on Twitter playing banjo yeah. than they may have and seen. And they'll love it because if yeah. you show a 20-year-old what we were doing the other day, some friends and I— we were watching some old 70s stand-up routines of Steve Martin, which, if you're probably our age, is still funny. But if you're 20, it isn't. No. And it was really funny. I mean, we couldn't control ourselves how funny it like was. Like the old, uh, what's the... Yeah, uh, yeah, King Tut and yeah, yeah, all that stuff. And it wouldn't be funny to a 20-year-old. 
Not remotely close. It Not remotely fit. close because of the, you know, just the times we live in and the references and the frames of reference and what people knew about the 70s and 80s and that he was talking about. But you're right. The 20-year-olds will probably have given him a new career. That's a legacy. Yeah. Maybe that's a legacy. Yeah. That's why Steve, Steve Martin is incredible. He also knew when to, sh- when to shut down the comedy stand-up routine and go into movie acting. That see, there's a there's a great self awareness. How many comedians do you know that know when to give it up, or any profession knows when to hang it up? He knew when to hang it up. Yeah, like Chevy Chase hasn't quite. You right. know, he tried to redo the, right. which was okay with the community after all of his movies. It was it just, at best okay. Yeah, at best. Yeah. And, um, I guess I'm. I'm. What's uh, who's the other uh, three amigo? Uh, Martin Martin Short Martin Short yeah. Martin Short kind of he kind of had a resurgence with the with Steve Martin with Steve Martin yeah. he had that character he yeah. did a little bit but yeah. you're right about that like I almost sometimes associate when I think of Steve Martin like Bill Murray mm-hmm. but Bill Murray had the same in my mind had the same like mental state yeah but never did other things Bill Murray just said I'll just walk around and not do I'll just do whatever I want where Steve he Martin became said, a serious actor though his acting right it wasn't comedy acting much yeah, in the movies uh, yeah I mean, serious that's like stuff. the path of a comedy mm-hmm. Of a comic actor to right. me, though, is they go to the series. But Bill Murray never went to do anything else. Where Steve Martin is so interesting. You said he has had three distinctive different careers. Yeah, how many people can we think of that do that? Not a lot. I can't. I, I mean, I'm struggling to off name one. Off the top of my now. head, I don't. Yeah, off any. the top of my head, to think of someone who did three distinctive careers. And music probably has to be involved in this in some capacity. So maybe it went the other way because it's entertainment at some level. The genus is entertainment. The species was stand up acting and music yeah and then you could maybe throw in like there might have been models that have transformed into a couple other maybe areas and yeah maybe yeah, yeah maybe a model has music plays a bit pretty big role yeah. in that it's impressive and they've got to have like a, a distinctive difference between it like jared leto's a new actor who was known for his band most people probably 30 seconds to mars and then he tra- has been a you know transformative actor in so many movies but there is no third career interesting no third thing do you find it with athletes? I'm just thinking maybe in athletics you find it a little bit. The Rock? Uh, think, think The Rock, he is completely transformed. From wrestling, high, pro th- wrestling to acting. I think in 2020 he was uh, the highest paid actor. Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne Johnson, around $24 million per film. Yeah. And he was a professional wrestler. And he was a football player before that, actually, if you think about it. Okay. So that's kind of. That's three. It is. Two. Is he known for his football at all? He wasn't. He, okay. he did. Um, he played at the University of Miami. A lot of pro wrestlers um, are football players that didn't make it. Yeah. Yeah, make it as big as they wanted to. But that's interesting, right? Yeah. Anyway. Steve Martin, one of the best. I, I, think, I think Steve Martin's in a league of his own. I agree. I 100% agree. How we stumbled into that is kind of interesting. Yeah. I think he, I, I'm like, my age is like the barometer of like how important he was to me and my growing yeah. up. I didn't grow up in the 70s, but he was important. Yeah. I'm not sure if like even someone 30 years old would have the same passion no. for Steve Martin. No, they would. All wouldn't. three. Because yeah. I experienced all three. You, you, exper- you were just born to get all three. Yeah. As was I, I suppose. Even though we're different ages, I, I experienced all yeah, three. This is the Steve Martin uh, appreciation show. Well, it's just interesting when you think of people that had different careers, a lot of different careers. Herman Cain, I suppose. We've been talking a lot about Herman Cain in the documentary about his life. Um, so he grows up poor. And he, this was not, I didn't mean to go here particularly, but it's a good plug for his the documentary about his life from poor to CEO. President of a company everyone knows, Godfather's Pizza. And then a successful radio career after that, candidacy for the presidency. I mean, uh, Donald Trump and Ronald Reagan both qualified at two. Yeah. Two dis- very distinct. It gets you two. I, you know, 
Trump has three a, is hard. Trump really has the possibility, though. I like. I don't know where it is, but you could see him getting to that third. Yeah, some might argue he did three because um, one would certainly say real estate developer was one, and then he became you know TV personality. You know, he, that's a great point because you know he, he was well he was well known way before. I mean, the impresario of different productions. I don't know if it was Miss, was it Miss USA or Miss America, uh, Miss USA, I think, right? The pageant, some yeah, yeah pageant impresario, but certainly TV star. So you know what? It's like it's mogul. Steve Martin and Donald Trump. Those it, are the only it two. It actually might be. It's mogul, mm-hmm. and then it's TV star, right. and it's president right. of the United right. States. So, so Steve Martin job. and Donald Trump have done the hat trick. <laughs> wow. Is there a third? There's not. I don't think there's a third. I, I'd it. open it up to the audience if they can think of someone who's had three distinct careers. That's amazing. Yeah. How fun was that? Yeah, that was fun. Didn't know that was going to happen. No. I was going to give you more of Newt Gingrich. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well. I'm going to take my thermos and just come You're going to take. That's all you need is your thermos. And, and this lamp. All you need in life is a thermos and a lamp. Do you need a rocking chair? I need a rocking chair, too. And your dog? Yeah. I can't say his name. What's his name? <laughs> no, I can't say his okay, name. all right. Otherwise, we will have one less career. Exactly. All right, that, does that get us to a break? I wanted to do this Newt Gingrich thing. I'll do it when we come back. Um, I think it does take us to the break. That was interesting. That was fun. little cultural moment here on the Seth Liebson Show. We'll be right back. Maybe keep her dreams afloat. But now she feels like One, Jimmy Buffett, singer, author, and restaurateur. All right, so here's what's funny. I'm giving you Aristotle. I'm giving you Plato. I'm giving you Barry Goldwater. I'm giving you Newt Gingrich. And Chris, who's my boss, people don't, not a lot of people maybe know this, but Chris is actually my boss. And I engage in this unplanned thing on Steve Martin and, and three careers, and the phones light up. And my email just blew up. And your boss, I answer to you, you answer to your boss, Jim Ryan, our general manager. He weighs in and says, Wayman Tisdale has only two. two. Yeah, only two, though. He, only three. two. But I have, okay, Rob, who's smart always, he gave us another one Arnold Schwarzenegger, bodybuilder, movie star, governor. Wow, 100%. 100%, 100%. answer on that. That's a great one. I have, uh, Elected officials texting me. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, yeah, we missed a few. We missed a few, but uh, who knew? All right, should we take? All right, Hutch. Let's go to Hutch. Hi, Hutch. Hi. You guys are kind of blown away by the three, but think about this. Yeah. With actually, actually, with um, with all three of those, Schwarzenegger, yeah, Martin, yeah. and uh, Trump. Yeah. There's actually four. Okay. There's actually four because all three of them. 
are authors as well. They've all published books. Yeah, that's a fair point. You give them four professions so, if you add book author, best-selling four. authors. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Well done, yeah, Hutch. Trump of the deal, or deal of the Trump, or whatever the heck Yeah, 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 the art of the deal. Uh, yeah. You bet. Good call. All right, this one interests me. Hi, John. Make it quick, buddy. I'm sorry. Got to get this. Yeah, Glenn Campbell, our local uh, hero here, he uh, has movies, TV, and singing. Movies, TV, and singing. Movies and TV. Yeah, I, I, that's two. It's two. Isn't movies and TV two kind of? Kind of. Kind of. Well, he had his own variety show. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, you'll, you'll, okay. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. It's a funny thing. It's hard to do three, though. Is it wrong of me? The, the I felt like the... Uh, you can't author- say Tom Selleck because he did Magnum and a movie is two. The authoring felt like cheating to me. It doesn't feel like... It just it feels like it's... You've like, obviously never written a book. Well, but maybe if you started as an author. <laughs> like if Stephen King had been Stephen King yes. and then moved forward... Right. Everybody writes a book about themselves. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Easy for you to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Keep your day job, Seth. Is that what you're saying? I mean. <laughs> All right. Well, Hugh, that was fun. That was fun. Boy, it lit up the phones real quick, didn't it? We didn't get a chance to do it. But Hugh and Lewis Holman. Hugh Holman may have had three careers. He founded a school. He's an attorney. And he was the mayor of Tempe. We will bring in another tripartite professional shortly with his son, Lewis. We'll be right back.